my friend Freddie Smith preached for me this past Sunday, so I do not have a new sermon for the podcast this week. So instead, I'm posting a sermon I preached in 2017. I preached this on the Sunday we were recognizing our high school graduates. It's from 2 Timothy chapter 4, dealing with the spiritual dangers that we face today. Of course, these dangers are not unique to our day. They've been around since the fall of man. In fact, these dangers are what prompted Paul to warn Timothy in this passage about them. In the sermon, I I share two warnings and then encourage you to stand firm and keep the faith. I do hope this will be both challenging and encouraging for you. God bless. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to read just a few verses this morning, beginning in verse 3. Paul writing to Timothy in the midst of his charge to preach the word. He says these words. For the time will come when they will not endure sound teaching. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, Fulfill your ministry. Uh, The passage that we're reading, that we read this morning, comes in the context of Paul giving a charge to Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor. He was a a disciple that had been discipled under Paul's ministry. And maybe the more famous passage out of chapter 4 is where where Paul says to Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. And and we often use that in the commissioning service of, of pastors and missionaries and the like. But I think there's an important part of this passage, too, as Paul is recognizing the context by which which Timothy is going to enter the world and do ministry. And what is important, I think, to remember is as Paul was speaking to Timothy, who is separated from us by culture and time and history, he is speaking about the changing dynamics of a secular world that are absolutely, completely true to our world today. You know, as we send out graduates, as you guys graduate, for your moms and dads and grandparents in your church, there are two things that are going on in our hearts and minds. One, we're very proud of you and excited for you. Yay, you graduated, right? There were some moments we weren't real sure you were going to pass, and so we're really excited that you graduated. You, well, at least we think you're going to get the diploma next week, and that's good. For you college graduates, there's an anticipation, there's an excitement that, that yay, there's, there's, this is a happy moment, a great moment. And yet, moms and dads, grandparents, church, there's also some concern here. Because you're leaving. Some of you are going off to school. You won't be spending the night in your parents' house anymore. And, and we know uh, intensely uh, some of the, the great dangers and the, the things that are beyond here that will be vying for your heart and mind. You are entering into a world that has grown increasingly secular, increasingly hostile to the gospel. And we understand that as you enter into that world, you are going to be challenged. You're going to be challenged in some ways that you've not been challenged before, your mind and your heart, particularly for the sake of the gospel. And so to that end, I want to preach from this passage as Paul gives a warning to Timothy. And I think the warning is for us today as well. How do we walk in a world that is working against the gospel, that has very little patience for the word of God? How do we walk in a world like that, that we can say as well, we have kept the faith? And I want to share with you this morning these three things, really two warnings and then an admonition. The the first warning is be very careful of boredom. 
Be very careful of boredom. We're going to talk about how boredom is an enemy of the gospel. And then number two, that, that there, is the, there is the active loss of truth, that if you give yourself to boredom and to the trivial things of this world, what will come is you will eventually turn your heart away from the truth. And then the last thing is an admonition, and that is to stand firm, to keep the faith, to walk in obedience before the Lord. But let's begin with the danger of boredom. Paul says in verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desire. I, I, I struggled with sort of how to, how to phrase this, and, and I settled on this idea of the danger of boredom. And I, I want to give three warnings, three dangers here that are connected with the danger of boredom. And the first is this, that you grow to a place where you have no patience for sound teaching or sound doctrine. That's what Paul says in, in the very beginning of that verse where he says, and they will not endure sound teaching. The word there that, that, that is for endure literally means to continue to accept as valid or true, to accept or to receive. In other words, holding to truth will be seen as burdensome, and there will be a desire to turn away to lies that are less costly to believe. I, I believe that, that Paul is also referencing the willingness to give attention of the mind and heart to things other than the truth. Now listen, I don't need to convince you much that we all live in a day where there seems to be very little patience for truth. All of us have schedules that are very, very full. There's very few of you who would ever say, well, I don't have anything to do today. In fact, the truth is most of us lay our heads down at night understanding that we had a thousand more things to get done and we just simply could not get to it. We're very busy we're very overscheduled. And if folks today have time for church at all in their schedule, what they really want it to be is compact and short and fit into their busy schedule. In fact, I often say now that many of us only come to church when there's nothing more important happening in our lives. Our culture is very much conditioned now to have a short attention span. There is a, a fascinating article that was written and uh, uh, not too long ago that revealed that the average person's attention span in this world of technology and social media has now reduced down to eight to seven seconds. It used to be that the world of advertisement would, um, the, the, the standard in advertisement was a 30-second commercial. But what advertisers have discovered is most people don't have the patience to wait through 30 seconds. And so they're shortening and shortening and shortening the, the, the commercials. But what really fascinated me was that the, 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 um, the commissioner of, uh, of the NBA is beginning to look at how they can change the rules of the closing minutes of the game because the new generations do not have patience for an extended length of game. And so they're figuring out a way to change the rules to shorten the game to keep the attention of those who are watching the NBA. Now, shorter and shorter attention spans may be the symptom of people who spend too much time staring at screens but the lack of patience for sound doctrine has been a struggle for every single generation. It's not new to us. It's what Paul is saying. He says, listen, there's coming a day. In fact, I think he's saying there now is, and I certainly would say today for us, there is a day. It is present 
where very few will endure sound teaching. Many around you will not endure it. Graduates, I would say to you to be careful of the easy and the cheap. Stand firm on the Word of God. And when I say that, I don't mean just so agree with me and so I believe it. There's some action there that you must give your attention to the study of the Word of God. You don't learn it. You don't receive it by osmosis. Just because you've got a Bible in your nightstand doesn't mean that you know the Word of God. Give your active mind and study to the Word of God. Give your mind to the knowledge of the Word. Have a desire to know what the Word of God says to you and give your heart to the love of truth. Endure sound teaching. Don't grow impatient with the Word of God. And, and a second danger here is that you, we become motivated only by the trivial. And so the danger of boredom is that we become motivated by, only by the trivial. Now, there are trivial things in this world, and there are eternal things in this world. The trivial are interesting, but not lasting. They catch your attention, but they have no eternal value. The eternal may presently seem uninteresting, but in effect, it has a, a, a tremendous effect over your eternity. Now, there are a bajillion things around us that are trivial. The fashion of the day is trivial. The last tweet in your Twitter feed is trivial. Your Facebook feed and how many followers you have on Instagram and your, the last sports score of your favorite team and the latest tech gadget and the things that are happening in the entertainment world, all of those things are trivial. They may catch your attention. They may be interesting for the moment, but they have no value past this moment. By the time you graduate from high school, I hope you understand the trivial nature of these things. Yet the sad truth is that many well into adulthood will give the best parts of their attention and energy to such things. Young men, young women, I know grown adults who are giving the best of their mental energy, their physical energy, their financial resources, and their time to things that will not be remembered or last past the year. When you will not endure sound teaching, what happens is that you substitute what is eternal for what is trivial. When you have no patience for what is eternal, what has lasting value, sound doctrine, you substitute eternal things for temporary things. Now, before I say what I'm about to say, let me just preface this by saying I understand I'm about to make you all a little uncomfortable, okay? I usually preview my sermon on Tuesdays with our staff. And when I got to this part, they all, it got that weird silence in the room. And when I got done with this, I said, okay, I've hurt your feelings. We'll move on. I think one of the most dangerous symptoms of this trivial over eternal is the use of smartphones and technology in church. Now, some of you have already written me off as an old fogey, but just hang with me for just a minute. And those of you who don't use smartphones and are about to aid Mimi, just aid Mimi, just keep your mouth shut. It's not an issue for you because you don't have one, okay? Now, I understand the convenience. Uh, when I go to uh, uh, Phoenix for the Southern Baptist Convention, I will carry my iPad with me, and during all the preaching sessions, that's what I'll be using to, to read Scripture over. I get that. I get that. 
I love technology. I enjoy it. I got all kinds of gadgets and stuff in my house. I enjoy it. I, I use it, and I find it fascinating. However, the truth is, listen to me carefully, that many of you are not disciplined enough to ignore the notifications, the alerts, the dings, and the other things that message you that stream across your screen. And some of you have, because you're not disciplined in that area, you're sitting in here hearing the eternal Word of God preached. And somebody tweets, somebody sends you a Facebook message, Somebody posts a new Instagram, and you find yourself right in here looking at that and ignoring what's happening from the, from the pulpit. Now, let me, let me just say, some of you, that may not be a struggle, but let, here's, the, here's the, 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 the line I think you ought to use. If you struggle in that area, and you have, at some point in here, while the preaching of the gospel is happening, given your attention to the trivial it would be better for you to miss a tweet and leave the phone in your car that you might hear the eternal Word of God than to keep up on the latest things. Now, by the way, I know some of you, I won't call names, have been, are so, are so um, weak in this area that you've given yourself to leveling up on a game in the middle of church. Oh, dear friends, we laugh. You heard that laughter because we know the silliness of it. But it's silly in the context that you're giving yourself to the trivial, but you are exchanging the eternal Word of God, the opportunity to hear the Word of God that can save you for eternity for coins in an imaginary game on your phone. Dear friend, it would be eternally safer and wiser for you to leave your phone in the car if it tempts you beyond your control than to, than to allow it to steal your attention away from receiving the sound doctrine. The danger of boredom is that, it, um, that you will not endure sound doctrine, that you will be motivated only by the trivial, and what begins to happen is you then have no tolerance for difficult or hard truth. Everyone likes to hear things that support their behavior and their thinking. No one likes to hear things that challenge them and convict them of sin. Sin. Some of the most popular preachers today have made a name for themselves preaching in a manner that never, ever, ever offends and always supports whatever behavior you want to participate in. But friends, listen to me very carefully. The Bible is absolutely chalked full of some difficult truths. Out of my own experience, I know that the more and deeper I spend time with the Word of God, the more and deeper it convicts and it deals with my own life. There is no way to walk closely with the Word of God and not be convicted and dealt with by the Word of God. When you draw close to the Word of God, it will convict you of sin and draw you to be more righteous before the Lord. Paul says that those who will not endure sound teaching will, 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 will surround themselves with those who will only say what they want to hear. He says that they will gather for them teachers who will, will tickle their ears or itch, scratch their ears. I'll talk about that in just a minute. Much today is being made about the, the hostilities found in, in, uh, on the secular college campuses toward anyone who would dare speak against the opinions of the majority. But friends, this is not new. It's not limited to college campuses. 
I once had a man in my church that when I first came, not here, by the way, when I first came to that particular church would, would love to encourage me and say, man, I, I love hard preaching. And what he meant by hard preaching is when it sounded like I was really getting on to, to sinners and the wicked. And sometimes he would, he, would, he would, at the end of the service, he would meet me in the back door and he'd go, man, you really stepped on my toes. And that, would, that went on for years until one day I preached a message that actually stepped on his toes. And the next day he was in my office saying, you can't preach like that. The idiom that Paul uses literally means to have itchy ears. In fact, some of your translations, if they're an older translation, may, may render it that way. They have itchy ears. Some of the modern translations use the word uh, that they, they, they want to have their ears tickled. It's an idiom that simply means that they want to hear what supports them and nothing that challenges them. And dear friends, dear graduates, stay engaged. Endure sound teaching. Do not grow bored with truth so that you will have ears that long for the truth and not just comforting lies. Be careful of the danger of boredom. Number two, be careful of the loss of truth. So in the next verse, verse 4, Paul says this, And they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. And you give yourself to no longer enduring sound teaching and longing just to have your ears tickled and hear what you want to hear, it leads to the active rejection of truth. When there's no endurance for sound teaching, this leads to, to this. Often at the end of my, my sermons, I, I, will, I will say this phrase, truth demands a response. What I mean by that is when you've been confronted by the truth, you must either receive it as true or reject it as a lie. But, it, but it, you cannot be uh, um, I'm static towards. You must respond to what has been proclaimed. And Paul is warning that those who do not endure sound teaching will not just be passive toward truth, but will eventually actively reject it. In fact, notice the progression here. Number one, they won't endure sound teaching. And that leads then to desiring to hear only supportive things only then listening to supportive teachers and then actively turning away from truth. There's a very well-known preacher today that says that preachers should no longer use the phrase the Bible says. And that's a hard blow to preachers. If you don't know the history of that particular phrase, that was the phrase that Billy Graham used to great effect. As he stood before the masses and said, and pointed to the authority of Scripture, the Bible says, and implicit in that because the Bible says it is true. Well, this popular preacher today says that that should be a phrase that should evaporate from uh, the, the, the use of, uh, of preachers because the modern, he says the modern person no longer accepts the Bible as true. Therefore, to teach truth, we must do so in a disconnected fashion from the Bible. So his thinking is, nobody believes the Bible is true today, so I want to teach you truth. I'm just going to do it disconnected from the authority of the Word of God. Maybe, just maybe, those who don't believe the Bible will believe the truth and then get it anyway. I, I, I think he may be right about the modern perception of the Bible, but I think he is woefully wrong about the prescription of what to do. We must hold fast to what is true. Somebody say amen. 
I want to make sure you hear me this morning. We must hold fast to what is true. We must point others to what is true. In a world that is rejecting truth, you must stand firm on the Word of God. So here's the deal. There will be some who will not endure sound teaching. They will accumulate around themselves people who only agree with them, and they'll only have ears to hear what supports their opinion. And they will eventually turn actively against the Word, actively against the truth. You, dear graduates, must stand firm in the truth and say, I believe it. I have poured my life into it. I have staked my eternity on it. And do not reject what is true. But notice this. He says, not only will they turn away from the truth, but they will also turn aside to myths. There's a principle here that Paul is recognizing, and that is everybody believes something. Everybody believes something. You may reject the God of the Bible. You may reject the gospel as true, but that doesn't mean that you have, you're now absence of any belief. You have now substituted that belief with something else. When someone rejects truth, they do not stop believing. Rather, they substitute myths for truth. This is the next step in Paul's progression. So you notice they did not endure sound teaching. Then they desired to hear only supportive things. Then they only listened to supportive teachers. Then they actively turned away from truth. And now they are turning aside to myth. And the blessing of truth is that it leads to salvation and a right relationship with God. That's why we love it. We love the truth. It, it saves us. It redeems us. It draws us into a right, godly, healthy, God-honoring relationship with him. The danger of myths is that they keep you from salvation and they keep you from a right relationship with God. Be careful of myths. I don't know how to say this until you've experienced it, but be careful of myths. You will encounter them. And frankly, what makes them so dangerously appealing is that when you encounter them, they will be well-received by the majority around you. There's some crazy things going on out there today. And what makes them uniquely crazy is that the, it seems like the whole world has agreed that that crazy is now true. But be careful of the myths. They may be well-received by the world and they may be popular, but anything contrary to the truth of the Word of God will lead you to destruction. And when it leads you to destruction, it leads to confusion and destruction. You know, the truth is, we live in a very confused world today. You are entering adulthood into a very confused world. The myth of our day is that you can reject the created order of God and supplant it with whatever your mind desires. And so, as you've seen on the news, maybe scratching your head trying to understand it, recognize what is happening here is a rejection of the truth and supplanting that with a myth. And so, today, uh, the world says, and this is a myth, that gender is simply a, a, a state of mind, not part of the created, good, created order of God. You can be whatever you want to be today and be whatever you want to be tomorrow. And if you want to make up a new category, you can be that too. In the world we live today, sex is not restricted to the covenant of marriage. It is just simply an activity to be enjoyed by whoever wants to enjoy it. Marriage is no longer important, and there's a thousand other things that are the rejection of God's truth and the believing of a myth. And when the myths are taught, they always say, oh, this is good. And if you will believe and receive this myth, it'll bless you. It'll make your life better and happier and more well-adjusted. Those who promise these, proclaim these myths, will set you free. But the truth is they will only confuse 
and lead to destruction. There is, listen to me, an order to God's creation. There is an order to relationships because God created them. And all these things God declared what was right and gave commands for our blessing that we might know how to live. And when you reject God's truth and believe the myths of this world, you live in a confused state of mind and sow the seeds for your own destruction. Be careful of the loss of truth. So what, notice what Paul then does. There's two warnings here. There's the danger of boredom, no longer enduring sound doctrine and what that leads to, and then the, 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 the loss of truth, the rejection of truth, and the acceptance of myths. But then in that verse 5, he then turns his attention. This is what I want you all to hear, so if you've, if you've checked out on me, come back to me, okay? Because then he says these words in verse 5, but you. And he's speaking to Timothy here. I think we ought to hear these personally as words to us. But you, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. A couple of things here. Number one, be sober. Now, to be sober means the opposite of being intoxicated. Clear-minded, eyes wide open, on your guard. Now, this certainly, I think, could be said in a physical sense. Don't be drunk. Don't be inebriated. Don't, don't give yourselves to the doling effects of, of drugs and alcohol. But, but I don't think that's the main idea here. I mean, I think that's assumed in uh, this passage, but I think there's a more significant thing, and that is that, that you are not to give yourself to spiritual dullness. This is not the life a Christian should pursue, whether physically or spiritually. So how do you keep yourself spiritually sober? And how do you know if you're spiritually intoxicated? Well, a couple of things here. Number one, be careful of the things that dull your sense of righteousness. Whether that be media or entertainment and who you receive counsel from. All of you have had this experience where you saw something, experienced something that when you did, it immediately caught you off guard as out of the norm, not right. But then little by little, that became more common and more common. And then one day you realize that you've seen even more um, uh, radical things and it no longer bothered you because you've grown accustomed to it. You've grown dull to it. How do you stay spiritually sober? Be careful of the things that dull your sense of righteousness, things that draw you away to understanding what God declares as good and right. Be a good steward of what you give your attention to. Your mind is a limited resource. I remember when I came, right got out of seminary, I had a, a, a pastor mentor of mine, and his counsel to me was, he said, Ben, you need to, you need to do the most study, you need to do the most rigorous um, time in the, uh, in the Word. You need to be writing more sermons than you'll ever write now because at that point in my life, he said, your mind is sharper than it'll ever be. At the time, I heard him, and I thought, I don't really know what you're talking about. Come on now. But I get it now. You start adding four children to the mix, your mind gets really dull. You're just tired. Uh, you add the mix of just running a life and pastoring a, a larger church, there's less time in my day to give my mind to certain things. Frankly, friends, some of the stuff that you're hearing today from this pulpit was produced in days when I had more time and more mental energy to, to give. I, he was right. And frankly, dear friends, you're sharper now. You may not know as much as you will later, but you're sharper now than you may ever be. 
And so how do you stay spiritually sober? You give your attention, be a good steward of what you give your attention to. Remember, you can give yourself your attention to the things that are trivial. And 40 years from now, 20 years from now, five years from now, you won't remember what it is. Or you can give yourselves to things that are eternal, and it'll bless you till the day you die. And lastly, be on guard for deception and lies. Test everything against the Word of God and pray for God's wisdom. There is no way from this pulpit, from your Sunday school classes, that we can teach you everything you need to know. So when you walk and you experience something that seems a little off, and you receive a teaching that seems a little contrary to the Word of God, test it against the Word of God. Is this true? Does it honor the Lord? Be sober. Number two, endure hardship. Now, to be frank, most of us in this room have lived a very comfortable life. And even those of us who would say that we have had difficulties in our life, frankly, on the whole, when you compare to how other people in the world live, and particularly on a history spectrum, when you think about how other generations live, we have experienced tremendous, tremendous comfortable lives. But listen to me very carefully. This is for the young, and this is for the old. The gospel, listen to me, is not about your comfort. Most of the New Testament Christians would know great suffering and hardship because of the gospel. Timothy would know great hardship because of the gospel. Paul would know great suffering and hardship because of the gospel. You were not saved to be comfortable. And that's why Paul says, be sober. And then he says, endure hardship. If we were putting that in the modern vernacular, it would be suck it up, buttercup, all right? Do not back away from suffering, but endure for the glory of God. There's a great quote. David Platt was writing the introduction to the book of Spiritual Warfare that, that Rankin and Stetzer wrote. And, he, and it, as part of that introduction, listen to what he says. We do not have time to waste. We don't have time to play artificial games and contemporary culture or wage artificial wars and comfortable churches. We have been captured by God, by a God-centered passion, and we have been com commissioned with a global purpose. Every Christian and every church has been called to engage in this war. It may not be easy, it may not be safe, and it will likely involve great cost. But in the end, we can take heart. The outcome of the spiritual battle, battle is irreversible. And this is the best part of the whole quote. Satan has been defeated, and he will be destroyed. We do not fight this battle for victory. We fight this battle from victory. Friends, the battle's already won. The story is already, we already know the conclusion. The gospel is victorious. Jesus is coming back. And so Paul says to Timothy, for a little while, while we endeavor in this world, endure hardship. Endure hardship. Hardship may come, but endure it. You're not a victim. You're a victor in Christ Jesus. It's already settled and it's already won. 
Your suffering is only temporary. If you live a long life and reach advanced age in comparison to eternity, this suffering in this world is nothing compared to the glory of heaven. And so be patient. God is working out his will and his perfect timing. And so Paul says to Timothy, and I say to you, endure hardship for the glory of God. And one other thing, fulfill your calling. I think there's two things here. Paul says it this way. Do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry? And, I, and I, when I was thinking about how to articulate how do you fulfill your calling, I would put it in two contexts. The first is fulfill your calling in salvation. You have been called to follow Jesus. The Bible says those who love Jesus obey Jesus. And so be a living testimony of his grace. Therefore, live out the testimony of your salvation wherever you are and whatever you do. And so, if you're a college student, live out the gospel in your college classes and before your friends. If you're an employee, live out the gospel in your place of work. If you become a husband or a wife, live out the gospel in your marriage. If you become a a father or mother, live out the gospel in your parenting. If you are a member and you will be a member of a church, somebody say amen. Live out the gospel in the context of that fellowship. In that wherever you find yourself, in whatever you're doing, live out the gospel because you've been called to salvation. But there's a second thing here, and that's fulfill your ministry. He says, do the work of an evangelist. I believe that you have been called of God to ministry. Now, this may be full-time vocational ministry, and it may not, but whatever you do, whether you're a psychologist, a lineman, a doctor, a teacher, you have a calling to a ministry. So be a witness for Jesus and what you do and where you are and whomever you're with. Be about what God has called you to and four. There's an interesting phenomenon that the word boredom is a modern word and primarily only found in advanced, wealthy countries. In other words, it's a modern ailment to those who are wealthy. And as a pastor, I'm keenly aware that many times people say of church, I'm bored. The prescription for not being bored is not to do more entertainment. In fact, I think that just feeds the monster and doesn't help it at all. The prescription for boredom is to call those who are called out by the gospel of Jesus to endure sound teaching, to listen to hard preaching, to hold firm to the truth of God, to be sober, to endure hardship, to fulfill your ministry. One of the things that encourages me more than anything else is that I am confident, I am confident, listen to me parents, I am confident that our God is able more than we are or you are. And I want to that end to tell you a story about my own journey and walk with the Lord. I grew up in a church that was theologically liberal. To be quite honest, I will never invite anybody from that church to preach in this pulpit. The other honesty is they've never invited me back to preach in there. So, I mean, I guess that's fair. I grew up in a, in a, in a, in a theologically liberal church that was growing more theologically liberal. 
High school was fine. The Lord did some really neat things in my life in high school. I chose to go to the absolute best school in Georgia, Shorter University. But unfortunately, at the time, Shorter was a very liberal school. God's done some wonderful, some really amazingly gracious things. But in the time, at that moment when I went, Shorter was very liberal. And the most theologically liberal place on that campus was the religion department. And I was a religion major. Maybe the other most liberal place was the performance arts uh, department, and I started out there. So I was, if you could just think about all the things that are stacked up against a student, somebody whose mind is very open and engaged and, and uh, malleable, came out of a liberal church and went to a very liberal school. And there's some terms in those days and labels that were used uh, that I assumed I was. The, back then in Baptist world, the liberals called themselves moderates, and that sounded like a nice word, and so I figured I was one too. Everybody I knew was one. If you ever go with me to Shorter, I'll, I'll take you to this classroom. I can take you to the classroom. I can take you to the spot in the classroom where I was sitting, and I was having a class, and I think the class was on the history of the American church. And the professor was teaching on the 1920s uh, fundamentalist movement. Now, when I grew up, the word fundamentalist was a dirty word. And if anybody ever called you one, they weren't being nice. They were being really mean. You didn't want to be one of those folks. And for the sake of discussion, those, some of you may not understand all the historical dynamics. Fundamentalism is a unique uh, theological brand that, that I wouldn't say I fit into. But there are five fundamentals that, that define the fundamentalist movement. And in this class, those, the fundamentalists were very much considered the the wackos, the weird folks, the folks that we don't want to be. And I'm sitting in class, I've got my little notebook out, my little pen, and I'm writing notes as the professor teaches, and he begins to talk about the five fundamentals. One of them is that you believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Well, I wrote that down, and I thought, well, I believe that, but that doesn't make me a fundamental, right? But there's five, I've only got one. You believe in the virgin birth of, of, uh, of Jesus. Oh, I got that one too. You believe in the um, the, the, the historical, uh, the historicity of the miracles of Jesus. Oh, I believe that one too. And the longer he taught, the more aware I became. I is one. Now, friends, listen to me. That moment in my life was a demarcation line. I've watched my friends. I grew up with, that I went to college with, who would not endure sound teaching, who accumulated for themselves folks that would tickle their ears and say things that the whole world around them says, yeah, that's about right. And I've watched with great sadness them turn away from truth, turn them their heart and their mind toward myths. And the ones that remained in anywhere close to what we'd call a pastoral or whatever, something like that, I wouldn't let within a hundred feet of this pulpit. It's because of that moment in that classroom, I'm your pastor today. By God's glory, you wouldn't have called me to be your pastor if I hadn't had that moment. It's why I chose to go to the seminary I did. It's why I chose to, uh, to understand the, the, who I read and, and those sort of things. And, and this is my point I want to make to you. You will be confronted by all kinds of things, great and small, that will allure you and tempt you away from the Word of God. In fact, just in your high school experience, you've already had some of that. 
But that pales in comparison to what will come next. Our prayer for you is that you would hold fast to the Word of God. The question that would roll through your mind is, what does the Word of God say? And how can I walk in obedience? But here is the word of encouragement I want to give you. If you will commit your heart and mind to the, to the righteousness of Jesus, and determine today to walk in faithfulness before the Lord, I am convinced that God will preserve you. God will keep you. God will direct you in the right way you should go. And when you're as old as gray as I am, and we run up against each other. We, we meet some, each other in a, maybe a far-flung town, and we go, oh, don't you remember? Don't you remember I grew up at Central Baptist? And I go, oh, yeah, tell me about your life. I'm going to ask you, here's the question. Have you kept the faith? Are you walking righteousness before the Lord? And I want to hear you say, oh, yes. I walk in the righteousness of Jesus. I have kept 